Uh, why don't we just begin with a little prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come down into this place. Fill each of us with your loving presence as we place ourselves here before you, so close to the celebration of the birth of our Savior. We ask that as we reflect on Mary and on her view of the, the birth of our Lord, help us to, to take advantage of this time to prepare our hearts for that coming, uh, for his coming again into our hearts this Christmas. Fill us with your grace so that we can really be transformed, we can really be opened and moved uh, to love Jesus as Mary did to love him with, with her heart, with the, the magnitude of love that she had. Mother Mary, as we speak about you this evening and reflect on you and, and your mystery and the mystery of Christ in you, we just ask you you bless us, be with us, accompany us, guide my words and my reflections and all that I have to share with these young people this evening. Help me to do it reverently, Help me to, to speak about you in a way that is loving and that truly honors you and that honors our Lord and the Blessed Trinity. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Did everyone receive a little piece of paper and a pen? So um, I'm going to give you some homework to begin. <laughs> the, uh, the idea here is that um, I'll get you to write down a little list of things few little lists of things um, that will help to give context and, uh, and help to apply our reflections on Mary and the nativity through Mary's eyes, help to apply that to your own life, okay? It's going to be really fun, I promise. Um, so first of all, I want you to list three things that you are hopeful for about your wedding day. If anyone here is like seriously discerning a vocation to the priesthood or consecrated life, you can put three things you're hopeful for about your vows or something like that, right? Or your ordination day. I doubt there's anyone like that, but you know. We're a weird, rare breed, us priests. Three things you're hopeful for about a really important day in the future. I see Father Grayson back there. He's not hoping for his wedding day, so. <laughs> three things you're hopeful for about an important day in the future. Um, let me think of what I would put. Huh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Getting to meet the Pope someday. That could be a hopeful day for me. I don't know what I would hope for for that day, really, to be honest. Okay, got it? Got one or two or three? Okay. Uh, next thing is three things that people in your family do that annoy you. Okay or someone that you live with. Three things that people in your family do that annoy you or someone you live with. If it was me, I would put down, you're not gonna believe this, but I would put down the annoying things that the other priests in my community do sometimes. Uh, yep, priests do annoying things. I know, it's hard to believe, right? Priests have defects, impossible. Or someone you work with, you know, the people we live with and, uh, and work with are the ones that tend to annoy us the most. So this person always uh, arrives late. <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. 
that annoys me so much. No. Um, three things people do that annoy you. Next is three events in the past year that have been frustrating for you. You're supposed to list these things. Three things that have been frustrating for you in the past year. For those who just walked in, the first one was three things you're hopeful for about your wedding day. And the second one was three things that people in your family do to annoy you or that annoy you. Maybe they don't do it on purpose. It just annoys you. And now we're on three things that have been frustrating in the past year. This is a nice thing to do at the end of the year because it kind of, you know, releases all of that tension. <laughs> I just drove two hours to get here. You know, every time we drive, we get frustrated. It's, you know, always happens. Okay, and the next one is just one thing. One time that you really didn't know what to do, that you were really stumped. You weren't sure what the right thing to do was. One time that you were like, uh, am I doing the right thing? Did I say the right thing? It doesn't have to be like a life-changing thing, but uh, one thing that, one time you didn't really know what to do. And the last one will be three people that you love and maybe you don't need to write this down, but just think about how it makes you feel to think about the people that you love, those three people. Maybe it's someone you've got a crush on that's you know, not advisable because it could change tomorrow. So three, three, three people that you love, that you really love, you know? Um, and, how, and how that relationship, what it does in your heart. forgot to tell you that I'm not going to make you hand these in. So you can, <laughs> you can uh, be honest. <laughs> right? I'm not, uh, we're not collecting this. This is just for you, for you to reflect on the nativity through Mary's eyes. You might be thinking, what the heck does all this have to do with the nativity through Mary's eyes? Well, I'm, maybe, you've, maybe you've already got it figured out. What would it be like? What would it be like for us to experience the nativity? To see it from Mary's eyes? You know? Um, usually when we think about Christmas, it gives us these warm, fuzzy feelings. We think about the perfect nativity scene and the stars and the angels, and, and it brings back a lot of nostalgia, maybe for our childhood, if you had good Christmas experiences when you were a kid. Um, but if it was me experiencing Christmas in Mary's shoes, what would it be like? I think that's kind of what this topic invites us to to consider. If I had to experience all the things Mary experienced surrounding this event, this momentous event of the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of the Savior, starting from the Annunciation, the moment the angel came, the whole thing with Joseph, the going to Bethlehem, the getting there, ending up in a stable and giving birth to Jesus. If I had to experience all of that, I would probably act a lot differently than Mary did and react a lot differently to everything than Mary did. Um, but I think that we need to reflect on it. Uh, it helps us to reflect on it through Mary's eyes and to reflect on our own lives in that way because we are called 
We have a real call from God to live out the gospel in our daily life, to live out the mysteries surrounding Christ's life, the life of the Son of God, in our, in our daily, daily life, like from our day to day. Um, what does that mean? We're not going through exactly the same things as Mary did. We're not actually like bringing the Son of God into the world or giving birth to Jesus. Um, but we are called to make Christ present in the world in a way as Christians. And especially those of you who have the call to be lay people in the world, um, you have a special calling to make Christ present in daily life through your living out the gospel, through imitating Christ and imitating Mary in your, in your day-to-day life. So there's kind of an analogy between Mary's life and ours. She literally brought Jesus into the world. We are called to figuratively, but very really, bring Jesus into the world through making him present in our lives, through our choices and our decisions, through how we live out the gospel in our, in our day-to-day life. So we have this awesome opportunity every day to, to imitate Mary um, by trying to do that, to make our lives kind of uh, mimic or, or repeat the pattern of Mary's life. You know, if, we, if she brings Christ in, we're supposed to bring Christ in, then, then it helps us to look at the way that she does it, the way that she lives that relationship with Christ and with the world, that bringing Christ into the world. And I think that when we imitate Mary, we're doing more than just, like, exercising virtue, you know? You could exercise the virtues of any great person throughout history, you know? You could say, uh, I don't know, who's a, who's a great person that we would like to imitate in history? Why do I think of all the bad people that I wouldn't like to imitate? I don't know. John Paul II, okay? It's John Paul II. He's awesome. He did so many great things. I could imitate him by, uh, by looking at the way he lived. You know, there's a great story of how he would sneak into the chapel and prostrate himself in front of the tabernacle. I could start doing that and say, okay, I'm trying to be like John Paul II, right? When we imitate the people in the gospel, it's different because, because in a very real way, there's a mystery in Christ who is present in me who makes himself present in the Christian, in the baptized soul, and makes himself present in the world through the way that Christians live in, in the world, okay? It's like Christ is, his life is still there, right? John Paul II's life isn't really still here, unless we talk about the communion of saints. Maybe we could find a way to say that. But Christ's life is really, really present in me. And when I live a Christian life, when I live the gospel, I'm really bringing Christ around with me. It's awesome. It's like he's applied to everyday life. He's applied to the present circumstance through me. He's, he's activated. It's like a power that's activated, that's turned on. You know, the power of Christ, of his kingdom, you could say. His kingdom becomes present in the world when we do that. So there's a really deep theology behind this. When we ask ourselves, what did, what did the nativity look like through Mary's eyes? That's one thing. It's a totally other thing to say, what what was Mary's real experience of it? Because, you know, what we see and what we sense through our senses is often very affected by uh, what's going on inside of us, by what's going on inside of our hearts, you know? Um, perfect example is the nativity. If you had any teenage girl from the city where I live who had to spend a night sleeping on straw in a stable, okay, um, how would she report about it afterwards, you know? She'd probably be like, it stank, it wasn't comfortable, it was cold, it was really dark. Um, 
How would Mary report about the event of the nativity afterwards? Having experienced the same external things, Mary's heart is in a different place. She's in a different place. So that's what we want to look at. We want to look at not just what Mary saw, not just what she experienced, but what was in her heart. How was, how was the lens of her heart interpreting all of, all of those events, which some of them were pretty nasty on an external level? It's helpful to imagine what it was like. It's helpful to put yourself there. St. Ignatius has a great exercise in his spiritual exercises, which you repeat for the whole gospel, you know, all these different stories, uh, where you apply your five senses to the scene. Imagine yourself there and use your five senses. What did it smell like? What did it feel like? What did you hear? What do you taste? What do you see? You know. So imagine yourself laying on a bed of straw. You know, most of you have probably been to a nice farm where you can smell the cows and donkeys. You know, what does it smell like in the stable? What does it feel like to lay on straw? What does it look like? It's probably very dark. They probably have one or two lanterns lighting the whole room. You might not be able to see into the corners. What do you hear? You know, you hear animals rustling around. Imagine what it's like. And now imagine what is going on inside Mary's heart. What is going on inside of her heart? We need to ask ourselves what we believe about Mary. Was she a super down-to-earth person who just says things as they are? You know, oh, I remember the stable. It was stinky. <laughs> Maybe she was a little bit down-to-earth without being irreverent. Um, or was Mary one of those, uh, do we imagine her as being like very, 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 very pious who always speaks in kind of an angelic tone? Yeah. I'd like to imagine Mary as a real girl, you know, a real girl with a real voice, a real personality, right? But with a lot, a lot of virtue and a lot of love. All right. I want to go through five points. The five points are each related to the five questions I asked you. Okay? So you can look at your little cards there in order to make this real. The first point is Mary and the Mary and the hopes and dreams that she has. So you wrote down hopes for your wedding day. Well, Mary was a normal human being and she had hopes and desires. Not having original sin, her hopes and desires were probably very purified and much more perfect than mine, but she still had hopes. She still had things that she thought in the future it would be so nice if, you know, something, right? Now, some biblical scholars, some Catholic biblical scholars say that based on, on the, the verse from Luke that says, I do not know man, when she says that to the angel, it seems likely that Mary uh, had, a, had a commitment to stay a virgin. Right? Even though she was betrothed to Joseph, she probably had like a personal vow to God that she was going to remain a virgin. So maybe she didn't have hopes of getting married. Maybe she didn't have hopes of having children. Maybe she had given up those hopes and had said, I'm going to give myself totally to God. Right? It's a very plausible theological opinion. But Mary had her plans changed. That's the bottom line. The moment God sends an angel into her life to, to present to her this plan, she has to change all of her plans. She has to change all of her hopes. Um, and we know what that's like. We know what it's like to have really beautiful desires for our future, for things that we want to happen in our future, like your wedding day, and to have them dashed by the events of life. 
So I think that Mary's story and her experience of the nativity is very, very relatable because all of the hopes that she could have had, well, many, many of her hopes, end up being like completely changed by God. Her greatest hopes, the hopes of her plans for her life, got changed by God. Then maybe her hope was to, to have Jesus there at home in Nazareth, where she was familiar with things, where people around her were close to her and she, they could help her take care of things. And then they get asked to go to Bethlehem. And then maybe they're on their way to Bethlehem and she's hoping, okay, Joseph knows this really great innkeeper there and he's going to be really friendly and save us a room. And they get there and once again, all of her hopes come crumbling down. How does Mary respond to that? I imagine Mary as seeing each of those circumstances with this unshakable trust in God. And this is one of those things that we need to like take away from this. In the moments of my life when my hopes are dashed and when I completely lose it, um, where is my unshakable trust in God? How firm is my trust in God? Mary's heart is constantly saying, he will take care of us. He will take care of us. And I'm certain of that. So I can just imagine like Joseph like freaking out and being like, oh my gosh, the innkeeper didn't save us a room and what are we going to do? We've got nowhere to go now. And Mary's just thinking, he will take care of us unshakable trust in God. She trusts like a child. You know, I love that you have St. Therese here. Yeah, one of my favorite saints. The, the childlike, uh, humble trust. I'm not able to take care of myself. God is able to take care of me, and he is taking care of me. I know that I'm in his hands. I know that my life is in his hands. So let's renew that, renew our certainty that God is going to provide for us in the situations we find ourselves in. God is going to provide, even if the one thing I really hoped for, the one thing I really longed for doesn't happen, doesn't work out, God is there. He's, he's got me. My life is in his hands. Okay, the second one we wrote down was our annoyances, the things that other people do that annoy us. We can kind of group that in with the frustrations that kind of go together. You made a list of the things or the people around you that annoy you. I think a great example is the government. You know, maybe we're super annoyed by our politicians. <laughs> that happens a lot. I've talked to a lot of Catholics who are. It's hard not to be sometimes. Mary and Joseph had a terrible government. You know, the government was the one who decided they're going to take the stupid census and make them all move to a different city in the middle of their pregnancy. Or Mary could have been very annoyed by Joseph, you know. Are you sure you booked a hotel? It's like, <laughs> no, I'm not sure. Well, I did, but I don't know. They didn't have telephones, so. And look at the different annoyances on your list and compare it to Mary's list of annoyances around the nativity, right? They're probably not really very comparable. Probably can't really measure up to the things that Mary had to put up with. Her annoyances were many and great. She's, she's giving birth to her baby on a bed of straw in a stable, in a stinky stable. Um, and compare that list to what she humanly might have expected it to be like, what she humanly might have wanted that moment to be like. And what is it that allows Mary to be patient in the midst of all that? You know, maybe when you think about my annoyances, I think, yeah, a lot of times I got impatient. You know, I don't know, sometimes I get impatient with the fathers in my community, even though they're perfect and they're, they never make any mistakes, right? 
<laughs> Sometimes we get impatient. What is it that allows Mary to be totally patient in all of her difficulties? I think it's that trusting confidence, once again, in God's loving plan. She's, she's both confident in God's plan. So, like, I'm annoyed by something, but I know that God's got something good to come out of this, right? Joseph, Joseph is messing things up, but I know that even in this, his, his mistakes, God can bring something good out of it. That phrase from, uh, from St. Paul, you know, all things work together for good for those who love God. Mary was living that, you know, before Jesus was even born. She was living that. All things work together for good. And then there's also this idea of her, her detachment from her, her dreams and her hopes and her expectations. She's able to say, yeah, this is what I would like it to be, but it's not that way, and it's okay. I'm going to let go of what I want in order to let God have it the way that he wants it. In Mary's life, detachment from the way things should be was radical. It was extreme because it was her whole life, her whole vocation. She had a plan of how she wanted her life, her relationship with God to be, and then God said, no, it's going to be like this. You're going to have a baby. You're going to raise uh, the one who's called the Son of God. That's going to be your new, your new, my new plan for you. So letting go was the name of the game for Mary. And I think that's something we need to learn to imitate. That maybe it's not as radical and as glorious as, as, as Mary's vocation was. But uh, when God asks me to change my plans, I've got to learn the letting go. Yes, Lord, change it. You can do it the way you want it. Uh, you know, when we start working in ministry, that's a big deal because usually the things we want to do are really good and usually we've thought about them a lot and usually we really want it to, to go well and it's, it's for God, it's not for us, you know? And then sometimes God changes our plans anyways, our really good and holy plans. And we've got to learn to say, yes, Lord, you have it your way. That's for the section on annoyances. You could say the same for the frustrations. Uh, what were my frustrations compared with, with Mary's frustrations at the Nativity? my little list of things that frustrated me in the past year. Now, sometimes we go through really, really difficult times, and sometimes they seem to be very great, even compared to Mary's. But look at, look at Mary's. Uh, her frustrations at the Nativity were just the beginning of, of a path of suffering, a path of the cross that would lead to Christ's cross, watching her son be crucified. And Mary um, learns and exercises this docility and this humble surrender to God through all of that, beginning with the little frustrations of the nativity. So what's Mary's heart at? Where's Mary's heart when she's, when she's looking at the stable floor and thinking, okay, where am I going to get comfortable enough to give birth to this baby? You know, uh, her heart is in this place of, of trust. I'm sure, Lord, I'm sure that you're taking care of me even if I can't see it. Great faith. Huh? Great faith. Okay, the next question I asked was um, one about, I hope I'm not skipping any of the questions. Frustrating, yes. One time that you, you weren't really sure what to do. You weren't really sure about yourself. I think that happens to all of us. And uh, for sure, Mary went through moments when the same temptation came to her, having doubts. Am I doing this the right way? Did I make the right decision? What if, what if God expected me to, to find a better place to give birth to him? I'm sure that Mary had moments when, when the thoughts plagued her of, 
of doubting herself. Um, imagine her like laying there in the straw thinking, what if, I, what if I'm not doing something right? And uh, how do we usually respond to those kinds of doubts? I think that they can plague us sometimes. It can be like a whole internal turmoil. It can be like, uh, you know, uh, getting convoluted inside my head, you know, feeling bad about ourselves. And I think that Mary was for sure able to overcome that in a way. Uh, maybe if we, it helps if we ask ourselves, where does that worry and that fear come from? Oftentimes our, our fear of making mistakes or of messing things up or not getting it right simply comes from a fear of what other people are going to think, you know? People are going to see me messing up. They're going to see that I've done it wrong and they're going to like notice or look at me funny or judge me. And Mary's heart is certainly free from that. Another reason that we might think that is just like a mere perfectionism, like, like just the desire to get everything and you know, it's a perfect little box and everything done exactly the way it's supposed to be. I think that Mary was free from that as well. When Mary experiences uh, the doubt of not being certain that things are done the right way, she's again able to respond with this, with this trust that her life is in God's hands. It's not perfect. Having to go to Bethlehem while we're pregnant is not perfect. Having to find another place that's not an inn to give birth to the baby is not perfect. But, but God has a plan in this. God can do something with this. He can do something even with our imperfections. Uh, and I think that living with that attitude is really good for us as Christians because it allows us to be a little bit kind of daring, um, maybe even to take risks sometimes. Like uh, you might have met people or maybe even struggle with this. That, that like it's, you've got to know exactly what the plan is going to be and exactly how things are going to pan out before you start doing something. And, and when, you're, when you're trusting in God and you're sure that God's going to take care of it, then you can say, well, I'm not really sure how it's going to pan out. And, and it could be a little bit chaotic and a little bit messy along the way, but, but I trust in him. And I trust that he's going to bring good out of it anyways. Right? Tomorrow I'm doing a, you know, a big uh, mission, giving Christmas presents to the homeless with like 50 people in Hamilton. And, uh, and they're, it's not perfectly organized. <laughs> it's, going to be, it's going to be crazy. I don't even know how many people are coming and, uh, so it'll be exciting, right? But, but I'm also trying to trust in God. He's got a plan. He's going he's gonna to bring good out of it. Um, the attitude of a Christian when it comes to making tough decisions and being uncertain is that you discern, you pray about it, you ask God to enlighten you, and then you make a decision. And you trust that God is guiding your decision. We can't live in constant doubt of whether or not this is the right decision. When, you, when you've prayed about it and you've discerned, you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust that it's, that it's your will. Maybe the worst case scenario is that it, it turned out that I, I was wrong and, and it doesn't go very well. But even then, I trust that you can bring good out of it. And since I've discerned and I've prayed about it, I'm going to run into it. I'm going to, I'm going to go all in, put my whole heart into it. That's how we need to live our lives as Christians. Okay, we're on to the last point, which is the best one, the most central. You had to list three people that you love and think about how you feel when you think of them. Certainly, the best paradigm for understanding Mary's view of the nativity is love. She experienced fear. She experienced uh, discouragement. She experienced hope and having her hopes dashed. She experienced annoyance and frustration. But in all of it, what prevails is love. More than any of the other emotions and experiences, 
Love comes out on top. Love is the key to dealing with all of our life's uh, difficult circumstances. So think about how that applied in the nativity. Think about how it applied when, when Joseph was you know, about to leave her and, and then had the dream and all of the tension and stress that that probably caused. She chooses to love. Think about how it applied when, when they had to leave and, and make this long journey to Bethlehem. When they got there and there was no room for them. Instead of annoyance, instead of impatience, Mary chooses love. She chooses to love the innkeeper. She chooses to love Joseph. Um, when her hopes and desires are dashed the way ours are sometimes. If, if the dominant attitude in her heart is, is love, then she's, she's loving towards God. Her relationship with God never turns to, why, would you, why did you let this happen? She's always choosing, yes, Lord, I love you. You have loved me so much in the past. How can I doubt that you will love me now? How could I ever doubt that you'll love me today? When she didn't know for sure if she was doing the right thing, even there, love prevails. All she has to do is look at the baby in her arms and love him. And from that day on, from that moment that the baby's born, it's just, it's all about him. It's all about loving the baby, you know. It's really, it's really cute and beautiful way to look at Jesus as a baby. Maybe that's why people like Christmas so much, right? And Mary, looking at Mary, you see her as the perfect mother. You know? She loves her baby so much. But Mary loves him more than any human mother. More than any human mother. And she's able to direct her whole life towards, towards loving him. And I think there you have the key, uh, Mary's key, to, to living through all of those circumstances that we listed. The annoying ones, the frustrating ones, our hopes are broken. It's, uh, it's love. We choose love. We choose love for God. We choose love for those around us. We choose love for those we don't even know and, and base our whole heart on that. One last idea is uh, Luke 2.19. Luke chapter 2, verse 19. It's worth memorizing that one. It's where it says that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. If there's one thing that's going to make us most like Mary, it's the ability to ponder, the ability to receive all the things that happen to us in our, our life, all of those circumstances, the crazy ones, the hard ones, and to look at it with this attitude of pondering. What is God trying to say to me? Lord, what do you want through this circumstance? How can I, how can I please you in this circumstance? Constantly remembering God's deeds and turning them over, pondering them in our hearts. Let's ask Mary for that grace to be like her in her love, in her silence, and in her trustful uh, dependence upon our Lord.